Again, welcome this morning. Thank you for being here. I want to speak this morning about um, authority. This is a, an, an important um, fundamental to come back to every now and again to remind ourselves um, about the God that we serve and about his authority. It's important to recognize that God is sovereign and that he is all-powerful and that he is our creator and he is due the respect and the fear, as we talked about this morning in our Bible class, uh, that is due him. I came across an article um, several weeks ago, actually included in the bulletin, where um, the man writing the article made, a, made a, an interesting point, and, and I, it comes back to authority. And so I kind of used that to, to formulate this lesson. And in, in so doing, I found myself with a wealth of, of information, too much for one sermon. Uh, so I have split this into two sermons. So today is part one, and then next week, Lord willing, when we come back together, we will take what we... Uh, talk about this morning and, and make a little bit of more application and, and put a little bit more context into what we're talking about when it comes to God's authority. But we're going to use uh, some of David, some of his experiences to, to shed light on, on God's authority. And as I mentioned also in, in Bible class this morning, it's so wonderful that God just doesn't give us a list of commands but rather he, through the Holy Spirit and his word, has, has preserved for us these examples of people living these um, tenets of, of God's will and being um, respectful to him and obeying what he says and the, the different ways in which that is carried out. And David is such a good example of this because scriptures call David a, a God after man's own heart, a man after God's own heart. Um, and so there's a lot of good things about David, but he was human. He did make mistakes and made one very tragic mistake with his sin with Bathsheba that led to other things. But we see with David that throughout it all, he really was trying to be pleasing to God. And we can learn a lot from some of his experiences. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to look at a few things that David experienced and see what we can um, learn from that. So David, he learned from his own uh, examples, some of his own mistakes, some of the things that he uh, encountered in his life. First, I want to talk about the, um, the incident of moving the ark. Look with me in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. 1 Chronicles 13. So, just very briefly, we know about David, and he's king in Israel, um, and that... He is, uh, the, the, up until this in time, including David's time, the ark, uh, for one, it was missing for a while or, or was, was not within the tabernacle. But David wanted to bring the ark to Jerusalem, to the new capital of Israel. And um, so he set out to do that. In 1 Chronicles here in verse, uh, chapter 13, Verse 1, it says, David consulted with the captains and the thousands and the hundreds, even with every leader. And David said to the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is from our Lord, let us send everywhere to our kinsmen who remain in the land of Israel, also to the Levites who with them the cities and the pasture land. 
In verse 3, let us bring back the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. So we see what's going on here. David wants to bring the ark back. Um, come down to um, verse uh, 6. And David said to all Israel, went up to Bala, that is Kirith-Jerim, which belongs to Judah, to bring up there from the ark, the ark of God, the Lord who is enthroned above the cherubim, where his name is called. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, even with songs and with lyres and harps and tambourines, cymbals and with trumpets. So they're sending for the ark, and they've they built a new cart, and they're going to bring the ark back on this new cart that they built. Sounds good so far, right? Verse 9 says, when they came to the threshing floor of, of Chidon, Uzzah put his hand out to the ark because the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, so he struck him down because he put his hand on the ark and he died there before God. Verse 11, David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah and called that place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark with him to the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the, Git, the Gittite. Thus the ark of, the, of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom and his house three months, and the Lord blessed the family of Obed-Edom with all that he had. So they want to bring the ark, and they, they build a cart for it. it. The ox stumbles, the ark is about to fall, Uzzah puts his hand out to steady the ark. After all, this was their prize, they wanted to bring it back and and this was the, 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 their mission, and God struck as it did. Why? Well, we know why, don't we? Look over in chapter 15, verse 2, uh, beginning verse 1. Now David built houses for himself in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord, the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. You look over in verse 13 of chapter 15. It says there, David again speaking here, he says, Because you did not carry it at the first, he's talking to those who were carrying the ark for the cart, we're trying to bring it back. The Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. So here, here we have the, a fine example of of, of, of a man having a great idea, but it's not in accordance with the ordinance. You see, God had dictated that it would be the Levites who would carry the ark. And he was very specific about that, not only who would carry it, but how they would carry it. The ark had these rings on the side, and there were poles that were to be put into the rings, and the Levites were to carry it by hand. That's the way that God prescribed for it to, to be carried. So here's King David, and he has this great idea that we're going to get the ark, I'm going to build a new cart for it, and we're going to carry it back, and we're going to have the dancing and the music that's going along with it. And God's not pleased with that at all. And God takes the opportunity when Uzzah reaches out to touch the ark, and nobody was supposed to touch the ark either, that he struck Uzzah dead. And by doing so, he made an example of that. And he made an example to David. Because David says, we should not have done that. Because it was not according to God's ordinance. So he says there, verse 13, 
you did not carry it at the first. The Lord our God made an outburst on us, for, he did, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. So David is learning a very important lesson here that God expects his ordinances to be followed. And straying from those ordinances has dire consequences. Another example. Go with me to 2 Samuel. Back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Here's another um, time when David uh, thinks he has a great idea. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1 beginning. It says, Now when it came about when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. Now, we're actually going, even though we went backwards in the, in the Bible, this is forward in time, just the way things lay out. So David says, you know, here I am in this nice house, and the ark is, is in, the, in this tent. So I'm going to build a house for the ark. Um, verse 3, And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. But it came about in the same night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build a house for, for me, a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I was brought up to the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I have been here moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Wherever I have gone... Uh, with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Do you hear what God is saying? David, when have I ever required of any of you to build me a house? He hadn't. He hadn't required that of David. But Key to this also, it says that, that, that David uh, felt this in his own mind, that he had the idea that he was going to build a, a house for the ark, essentially a house for God. And God says, I have not commanded that of you, David. Why do you think that you should just take it upon yourself to do that? Go with me now over to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. <clears throat> First Chronicles chapter 28. By this time, David has understood this. And he says this, First uh, Chronicles 28, beginning of verse 2. It says, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brethren and my people. I had intended to build a permanent home for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. So I made preparations to build it. But God said to me, you shall not build a house for my, for my name because you are a man of war and have shed blood. So David has recognized, he's learned his lesson here. Yeah, I got a great idea. I'm going to build a temple, essentially. God says, when have I ever asked you to do that? And David learns from this and says, I know now. God says, I'm not the one to build the temple. We know from other readings it's going to be his son Solomon that's going to build the temple. 
Not David because he was a man of war. And, and what's key in understanding this is that God had not dictated for David to build it. He dictated other things. And, in fact, we're going to learn as we go forward into this that God is going to give to David the plans for the temple and for temple worship. But it's, he's not going to be the one to build it. So even though he had a great idea and took it upon himself to do these things, it was not in God's plan at the time. I want to talk about, we're going to come back to David here. He's instrumental, instrumental in this. Um, I want to talk about instruments um, under the law of Moses. Um, I want to talk about instruments during the tabernacle error. So go back with me now to Numbers chapter 10. I know we're jumping around a bit, but hopefully all this will come together for us. Numbers chapter 10. This takes us back to uh, the time of the Exodus, where Moses is leading the people out of Israel. And God is giving Moses um, instructions along the way of the things that he is to build, how he is to set up tabernacle worship, uh, all the things that are involved in that, including the construction of the ark itself, which would carry the Ten Commandments, um, and, and the tabernacle, which was a tent that would house uh, the ark, the holy place and the most holy place, and, and everything associated with that. Numbers chapter 10, there's something else that's been instructed here. Verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke further to Moses, saying, Make yourself two trumpets of silver, uh, of hammered work you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for having the camps set out. Now, we're not going to read all of this, but he goes on to talk about other things that the trumpets are to be used for, to blow an alarm in verse 5. Um, verse 8, the priestly sons of Aaron were to blow the trumpets, and this shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. Verse 9, and when you go to war and land against the adversary who attacks you, you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. So we see what the, the use of the trumpets were for. Now there's understanding that, um, it was mentioned about Facebook this morning. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Messenger. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have phones electricity. So how do you muster that many people, millions of people, to move from camp to camp? Remember, there are nomadic people at this point, or, or to go in war. You need some way to do that. Well, you're going to make these trumpets. They're going to be the way that you summon people. And according to the blasts on the trumpet, they'll know what to do. Verse 10 says, also in the day of your gladness, and in your appointed feasts, and on the first days of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, offerings, and they shall be as a reminder of you before your God, I am the Lord your God. So also the trumpets are to, to be used to signal the, the days of the month, the feast days, the, the offerings that are being made. Again, they're being used to signal, um, as a signaling device. They're not used in worship at this point. Now some might argue, well, if it's burnt offerings, that's worship to God. But I think you'll see that the trumpets were there to signify and to, and to herald the, 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 these activities and these events that were happening. 
Because we can back that up by understanding in all the instructions that were given for the tabernacle worship, there's no other mention of musical instru instruments to be used in the worship of God in the tabernacle era. Only these two trumpets are mentioned, and their use is spelled out here. So they were used for a specific purpose, but they were not used in the worship uh, per se to God. Going forward, we want to look at the idea that indeed instruments were added to temple worship. We just talked about there about David and the construction of the temple. So the, 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 the worship is going to go from tabernacle worship to temple worship. The, the permanent home for the ark and for the worship of God would be in the temple. And under that error, there was going to be instrumental music and singing added to the worship. Go back with me to 1 Chronicles 28. Now, I mentioned that David was not going to be the one who was going to build the, um, the temple. But he was going to aid in its construction. He was going to gather materials. He was going to help Solomon in the planning of it. He was going to have the plans for it. He was going to have given to him uh, the plans for temple worship. First uh, Chronicles 28, beginning of verse 11 says, then David gave to his son Solomon the plan for the porch of the temple, its buildings, its storehouses, its upper rooms, its inner rooms, and the room for the mercy seat, and the plan for all that he had in mind. Now, I think it's rendered a little better in other translations. That verse 12 says, and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit, which is a better translation a better rendering of what's said here. So keep that in mind. And the plans for all that he had by the Spirit, and Spirit's capitalized in this particular rendition, for the courts of the house of the Lord, for all the surrounding rooms, for the storehouses for the houses of God, and for the storehouses for the dedicated things, also for the divisions of the priests and for the Levites, and for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the utensils of service in the house of the Lord. And he goes on to talk about how these things were to be made, the size, the weight of the gold and the silver that was to be used for, for building these things. But look down to verse 19. It says there, all this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the details of this pattern. So what does that tell us? Couple that with what is said there in verse 12 and the plans for all that he had in by the Spirit. It tells us that God gave these things to him. God gave him the plans. God spelled out how temple worship was to go. How this was going to be carried out um, and, and the things, the preparations that were made and what was going to take place in temple worship. Remember, we're transitioning from Tabernacle worship to temple worship, all under the law of Moses. But there is some differences in this. Go with me now to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. We're jumping ahead in time now. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Now we're jumping ahead to the time when Hezekiah is king in Judah. 
Verse 29, or chapter 29, verse 1, it says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father David had done. Hezekiah was one of those kings who tried to bring back, to, to restore the Israelites to uh, their proper worship and their proper relationship with God. And so he worked very hard to um, reform, to um, restore the temple worship. You look there in verse 20, uh, it says, Then King Hezekiah arose early and assembled the princes of the city and then went up to the house of the Lord. And he talks about there how he made all these sacrifices. They slaughtered the bulls and they sprinkled the blood. Uh, verse 24, And the priests slaughtered them and purged the altar of their blood to atone for Israel. For the king ordered the burnt offering and the sin offering for all of Israel. So here's Hezekiah uh, reinstituting, uh, reforming, restoring the temple worship. And look what it says beginning verse 25. It says, Then he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with harps, with lyres. Listen. According to the command of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet, for the command was from the Lord through his prophets. So the things that they are doing came from God. They were delivered to, to David through Gad and through Nathan. And they were delivered to David from God. And so these things that, that were, they were uh, engaged in were authorized by the Lord. Verse 26, And the Levites stood with the musical instruments of David, and the priests with the trumpets. There's the trumpets again. Then Hezekiah gave the order of the offer, the burnt offering on the altar. When the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets. So that harkens back to the tabernacle error of the, of the signaling of the offering that was being made. Accompanying by the instruments of David, king of Israel. So now that they've added in the instruments to the worship. Verse 28, while the whole assembly worshiped, the singers also sang and the trumpet sounded. All this continued, continued until the burnt offering was finished. So what, what, what does all this mean? Well, I hope you're following my logic through this and understanding that what's important in, in, in this and in all things is that we uh, perform the things that God has prescribed. God said, uh, told how the ark was to be moved, and when they didn't move it the correct way, there was consequences for that, and there was punishment for that. Same with the building of the temple. David said, I'm just going to build the temple. God said, no, your son Solomon's going to build the temple, but not you. Um, instruments in, under the law of Moses, there was these trumpets that were made early on in the tabernacle worship. They were to signal those things that were, that were happening for the children of Israel. But when the temple was constructed, instruments, other instruments were added to and singing was added to the worship. And those were according to the, the, the plans that God delivered to David. So when we think about um, what's authorized and what's not authorized, the things that are authorized are the things that come from God. 
and what's not authorized is everything else. So let's ask this question again. By whose authority? God expects his laws to be followed. We live in a nation of laws. We have all sorts of laws, and they're making more every day. Our leaders expect us to follow those laws. And if we don't, there's consequences for that. We understand that. God expects his laws to be followed. Go with me to uh, 1 Kings chapter 9. Make a couple points here. 1 Kings chapter 9, we're coming, kind of circling back again. Um, now Solomon is king, and God has some things to say to Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now it came about when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord. So that lets us know where we are in time. And the king's house and all that Solomon desired to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, and he appeared to him in Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house, which you have built, by putting my name there forever. In my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Verse 4, and as for you if, you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised to your father David, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. If you keep my commandments, if you do what I say, if you, if you are... Uh, you maintain your integrity and you're upright before me, I will establish the throne of your kingdom and it will last forever. God expects his laws to be followed. Look at verse 6 though. But if you or your son shall indeed turn away from following me and shall not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you and shall go on to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them and the house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. So Israel will become a proverb uh, and, a, and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss, saying, Why has the Lord done this to the land and this house? You hear the consequences that if you don't keep my statutes? And they will say, Because, the Lord forsook, uh, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and adopted other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this adversity on them. God expects his laws to be followed. There are consequences if you don't. Jump over to the New Testament real quick. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. This is what we refer to as the Great Commission. Jesus has been crucified. He has risen on the third day. He has uh, still more teaching, more things to say to his apostles. He says here in verse 18, uh, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of days. Jesus said, I have all authority. Now you go and do these things. What things? All things that I have commanded you. God, Jesus, expects their laws, expect their laws to be followed. Jesus says, go and make disciples, teach them what? All that I have commanded you. This is the same God that told Solomon that you have to do all the things that I have commanded you to do. Now the consequences Jesus doesn't spell out here, but we know what they are. Same thing, punishment. This is what uh, God expects is that his laws are to be followed. Something else to keep in mind. Man's rules, what men deem to be important or what the rules that they might come up with are of no account when it comes to God. Look over in Matthew chapter 15. And this is not saying that we disobey civil laws. That's not what this is meant to say. This is saying that when it comes to our spirituality and what God has commanded of us, it does not matter what we think. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, this is in the context here. The Pharisees have um, come up to Jesus and asked them why, they are, why his disciples are transgressing the, uh, the, the, the traditions of the elders and they're not, not washing their hands when they eat bread. And, and Jesus goes on to tell them, you know, um, here's what you're missing. And in verses 8 and 9, it says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. You see, the Pharisees had all these kind of things that they put on about washing hands and washing vessels and all these things that they had, they had put on top of the law of Moses. And Jesus is letting them know that those things that you're doing outside of God's law, you're doing in vain. You're teaching as, as doctrine these precepts that you have come up with, and you're worshiping me in vain. God expects his laws to be followed. Man's rules are of no account. And one other tenet that we want to make sure that we understand is that silence does not mean approval. There's something called, and this is just quotations, the law of exclusion. What does that mean? Genesis chapter 6 and verse 14, when God is telling uh, Noah how to build the ark, he told him lots of specifics. One of the specifics that he told him, it says, you are to build the ark out of gopher wood. Now, if God tells Noah to build the ark out of gopher wood, what other kind of woods are excluded? Well, the answer is all other kinds of wood. Because if God specifies that it is to be gopher wood, then everything else is excluded. I can't build it out of oak. I can't build it out of teak. I can't build it out of mahogany. Noah had to build it out of gopher wood. Look also in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 14. The Hebrew writer here is laying out the, um, the, the conditions for the, or the, the priesthood of Jesus. And he's using this, uh, the example of Melchizedek. 
But there's something in this that's important to us in our discussion. Verse 14, he says, For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. Now remember, the high priests were to be from the tribe of Levi. But the Hebrew writer is making the argument that Jesus is our high priest. Well, how can that be? Because Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Well, the change in that is, is at hand here in what is talked about here. But for our purposes, listen to what is said next. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. Now, Moses is used here, but the law came from God to Moses. And when God said the Levites were to be the priests, who does that exclude? Everyone else. That's the, what we're talking about when we're talking about the law of exclusion. Silence does not mean approval. When we say that, well, you know, if we try to justify what we're doing in our worship to God or whatever it might be in, in, when it comes to God, we cannot use the argument where, that says, well, God to never told us we couldn't do it. Well, we, we're, you know, whatever, whatever that might be. Uh, well, God never said we couldn't do that. This is the principle that we use to exclude those things which God has not approved. When God says through the scriptures that we come together on the first day of the week, what days does that exclude? That excludes the other six. When God says we are to take the, the, the bread, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine and, and taking of the Lord's Supper, what does that exclude? That excludes every other kind of food and every other kind of drink. Silence does not mean approval. Let me give you another example. If I go to a restaurant and I tell the waiter that I'd love to have a cheeseburger with a side of fries. And the waiter comes back and he brings me an orange soda and a cup of clam chowder. He hasn't brought me what I asked him, right? When I said I wanted a cheeseburger and some fries, that excluded everything else off the menu because this is what I want. What if he brought me the cheeseburger and the fries, but he also brought me a piece of key lime pie? Well, I like key lime pie. I might say thanks. But that's not what I ordered. I can't add to that. The waiter can't add to that and just expect me to pay for it. That's not what I asked for. So by asking for something or by dictating something, I exclude everything else off the menu. It's the same way with God. When he says that we are to lay by in store on the first day of the week as we have prospered, that excludes everything else from the fundraising activities of this church. The church is funded by the free will offering of the people who come here and worship here. Everything else is excluded. Lay by in store on the first day of the week as you have prospered. So that's a very important um, tenet in understanding authority. And it follows with all these other things that God expects his laws to be followed we can't come up with those and, and, and insert our own do's and don'ts. And just because God uh, hasn't said it, does not authorize it. I want to leave you with 
this from Isaiah 55 and verse 11. It says, So my word will, uh, by which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and that without succeeding in the matter in which I sent it. This is important in understanding about, our, about authority as well. God does not say things in an idle fashion. He does not put things out there just to fill the pages of the, of the Old or New Testament. That's not why his word is there. His word is there to serve a purpose, to accomplish what he desires. And in the matter, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it, when God speaks about something, that's it. He is all sovereign. He is, uh, has all authority. He expects what he says to be observed. This is the foundation for what we'll talk about next week. We're going to take this, this foundation and this understanding about authority and, uh, and apply it to our, our own worship because it holds. God expects his word to be followed. God does not allow for us to think it's a good thing in our own mind and do it like David. Well, it's a good idea to put the ark on this brand new cart. That's not what God has authorized. We're going to take those principles and apply them to our own worship of God. I hope this has been encouraging to you. I hope this has been a good reminder and hopefully just a little bit different facet maybe of the way you've thought about authority especially with the idea of, and this is going to be key, about the adding of instrumental music in the worship under the law of Moses. They didn't take it upon themselves to do that. God gave the instructions to David, and we see in Scripture that that's exactly the case. God authorized that. So if there's anything that's going to be different or added to, God's going to do it not man. So we're going to talk about some more things next week. Thank you for your kind attention. We offer an invitation at the end of our time here together. We serve an awesome God. We serve a God that is all-powerful and that is sovereign and that has created all things, and he's given all these things to us for our use, for our benefit, for his glory. And he has given us the ultimate, and that is redemption. He's given that to us through his son who suffered on the cross for our sins, that we might be redeemed back to God.